My guest today is the Head of Sales Development for Miro, and before that he worked in sales leadership roles for the likes of Oracle, IBM, Pluralsight and LinkedIn. Barry Casserly, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I, Barry, I'm, I'm, I'm curious in, in you had an, an unconventional, I guess, entry into the workforce. You left school very early. You want to tell me a little bit about what was behind that and what that journey was like in terms of what you had to do to get on that, the, the kind of the corporate ladder? Yeah, so I suppose like the, the biggest thing was believing believing in yourself. So I think that was one of the things that I had to do. But the second was influencing. So it was influencing my dad that I had the, the, the strength and the capability to actually go back and go back to my college. And I think that was the biggest hurdle. But once he really sat down and understood why I wanted to do it, he then started becoming and really starting to back me for it. Right. Mm. Um, so I left school when I was 15 and started working for the Pete's in Parnell Street, a lovely man called Declan Pete, who's been very influential in my career. Um, and I started working for him for seven years. And throughout that time, he gave me the exposure to so many different parts of business. And I think where he really leveraged my career uh, was to support me throughout the nighttime education as well. So I had the flexibility to, to grow and to, to learn and evolve but also to really spend the time that I needed to on, on a Friday afternoon and trying to get extra study in on top and really gave me the ability uh, to, to go and further develop myself. So that was quite sewn on from before I made the decision to leave school. Mm. Um, but I really wanted to be a manager and that was the really the, the key focus of what I wanted to do. I wanted to lead people, I wanted to develop people and I wanted to really grow people. And that was something that was fostered with my own parents um, to, to really challenge yourself in different areas. So there's, there's two paths there I'd like to follow with you. One is on the educational side and the other is on the work side. You left school before you did your leaving cert. And what made you then, because then you had a job and you had a good job in a place, clearly you sounded like you enjoyed and you were respected and, and so on. Mm -hmm. And you, But you decided to go back. What was the, or at least to go at night, that's tough. Anybody who's ever done and tried to get a qualification part-time knows that you're trying to do two full-time jobs in, in the same amount of time, essentially. What, what was the driving force to go back and get your leaving cert at night? So that was, it had to be done. Right. So I think my dad said that, that that had to be part of the package, right? If I was to leave school, I had to do it at night. Um, the driving force for the degree was around to get the qualifications to be a bit like to lead in business management, right? Um, but it was also to get me to like be accountable, right? And to make sure that like I can manage and multitask in different ways. And I think that's what really was the benefit of it overall, as that gave me structure, it gave me focus, and it gave me key areas of where I needed to work on. And that, that was something that potentially I didn't know at the time, right? Yeah. In terms of for myself. So what did, you, um, what did you study in college? Business management. Business management. Um, so I went back and did a degree in business management, and then I had cloud computing and capital market and investment banking courses as well, yeah. uh, advanced diplomas. I, I'm curious, what, when you were in school, was a degree ever on your horizon, or was it the fact that you went back and worked hard to get your leaving cert at night? Was that a stepping stone to the leaving cert that made you feel it was possible? 
Um, it's a good question. Maybe at the time I didn't realize it, but reflecting on it now, it definitely was something. It definitely was a driver. Um, looking back now, do I hire for somebody who has a degree and do they need a degree? Absolutely not. Right. So I think that what it gave me was accountability. It gave me um, belief in myself as well, because when you leave school at 15, you lack a bit of belief. Right. And so like, you need to really start to gain that back. Right. Because you're now not dealing with, you know, 14 year old kids kids in school you're actually dealing with 28 year olds 30 year old businessmen who are actually expecting a lot from you in terms of a sales capacity so i had to grow up quite quickly um, and i had to grow and like not just as an individually but professionally i had to grow quite quickly and i think that's kind of the piece that why i went back to college was to really try and to leverage those skills and to be to be noticed as a young person trying to move into leadership right and to be held like I'm serious. It was very hard to try and get into sales leadership at a young age, um, and especially within Oracle, I found it very, very tough. And um, but I had a really, really strong mentor, and yeah. I still to this day, like, have so much respect in terms of I, I, I won't mention the name, but, yeah. but but you probably know him. And um, I have so much time for for that person who. I'll come, I'll come back to that one in a second. I was just struck by when you were talking about going back to college. Uh, was that part-time too, by the way, or was that full-time? That was part, everything was part-time. Everything was part-time. And it was almost like a, as an afterthought that I had to ask you what, the, what you studied. Because in some sense, I was of the feeling that it's kind of irrelevant what, what you did in terms of going back to college says more about you than what you studied in terms of your value mm -hmm. as an employee what you studied is mm -hmm. kind of irrelevant. And it yeah. was the journey you went through and the hurdles you must have had to go through to balance those. Talk to me a little bit about that, about the, the challenges of trying to do two, effectively two jobs, study for a degree, which most people would see as a full-time mm -hmm. pursuit and hold down a job at the same time. Yeah, so like I suppose the driver, Paul, at that time, oh, it's just even fun, funny here. I had two kids, um, quite young, right? So and now you have three jobs. Three jobs, right? So yeah, that was the driver to set them up for success and to make sure that they'd have a good life. And that was the driver very, very early for me as well, once once I found that out. But I was doing a career round. So I was doing three, three nights doing my uh, college five days working and then doing a curry around two nights a week delivering curries um, and while my wife was on maternity leave at the time so it was juggling like so many things but like in terms of the benefit to it overall like it just bred grit driving mm. resilience and that's mm. something that's just grown within me from 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 a very early age you know and um, and that's kind of what I love and as part of the hiring process is to understanding the person. Do they have the right grit, resilience and attitude? Mm. And I think everybody after coming out of last year has built grit, drive and resilience with the pandemic. Um, good point. It's a good point. But it's uh, people people like don't realize the amount of grit and resilience they have within them. And that's what I love doing is challenging their limiting beliefs. Mm. And I challenge my limiting beliefs an awful lot. Mm. Um, and, and I think 
that's what I love dealing with my reps is getting them to see what else they can do. Like what else can they do and be a better version of themselves. That's the piece where I get my passion from. Have you ever thought of being a motivational speaker, Barry? No, no. A, there is a career the there for you, by the way. If you ever get tired of what you're doing, I promise you, that's a phenomenal story uh, to, to be able to demonstrate that. Um, wanted to go back a little bit and talk to you about Pete's. Uh, I remember the place fondly. I was an electronics guy myself. I, I geeked out on circuit boards and transistors and diodes and the likes. And uh, <laughs> I, I, but I also know there was well, didn't was it the Pete's were they also maybe I'm confusing Pete's did the electronics right? It wasn't the audio place. They didn't do speakers and hi-fi. Yeah, they had Pete's and electronics, but they also a lot of their brothers set up different uh, businesses. Yeah. So they had desktop systems and Bang and gotcha. Olsen as well, brought yeah. into the into into Dublin, um, and then they also owned like audio visual yeah. reporting and yeah, yeah. So they they're they're really entrepreneurial. Family. Were you yeah. uh, on the sales side in Pete's? Everything. So that's where I really I was on the sales side, but I was also on the uh, fixing um, the duplicators and the systems. So. Mm. Years ago, when CDs needed to be replicated by the thousands, we used to be able to provide the mm. systems that could do that and print mm. on them, um, and we'd be selling them to large clients. So what so What did you learn a about? Jack of all trades. Sorry, Barry. What did you learn about business mm -hmm. and about people working there that you still leverage now? Relationships matter. Um, so to really sit down and to understand who's going to help you get to where you need to. Um, to reach and ask for help and be humble, right? And I think that's something that like I'll never lose, right? I'm, I'm being vulnerable when you need to be, right? When you need help, you ask for help. Um, but I suppose one of the most things is, the most benefit thing I got from it, self-belief. I think that's something that Declan really bred within me um, and drove me to those limits that I expect now with my reps, like, do you know that type of way in terms of like, I, I sometimes don't even understand the influence he had on my career, you know, um, and then, and appreciate, I definitely appreciate it. And he knows that, but when you're looking back and the older that you get, you realize who made impacts on your career. And he'd be definitely one that has made the biggest impact for me. Yeah. Let's go. Barry, a, a moment ago, you mentioned that you had a really good mentor in, in Oracle specifically. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about what it was you got from that relationship, what you learned about yourself and again about business. Yeah, so um, it was Killian O'Grady um, within Oracle um, who was leading up senior director for uh, business development. And I approached Killian early in my career to let him know what I needed um, and what I was looking to do and move into management. And I think the, mo the benefit of what he gave me was I was doing too much stuff and not letting one or two people see the visibility and impact of the project. So you could go around and cut a hundred trees, but if you cut one well and someone saw you cut that tree really well, that's more of an impact. And that's something that stayed in, in my head for I don't know how long, right? You can run around and do multiple different tasks that have no impact, or you can align yourself with tasks and projects that are gonna align to the company of priorities. And that's the piece where I was missing, like totally going the wrong way about it. And that was something that got me back on track. And I didn't get the first role I went for, 
but I think it was the the coaching and development within the second phase that I really started to to understand exactly what he was trying to do. Yeah. And he wasn't telling me, he was coaching me, right? And that's something that's just stuck in me, whatever happened as part of that process, but it's something that I bring to every conversation yeah. with my reps. Then. Tell me about what you learned about coaching from Killian. And by the way, I, I, I now have this mental image of Killian wearing a lumberjack's uh, coat and a, and a chainsaw. <laughs> But but do do tell me because I know anybody who's watching this. There's many people who will know Killian and who have similar stories. Uh, I'd like to hear yours about what you learned about coaching. Yeah, I think it's all of the power of questioning, right? And I think that's something that I learned from Killian. The, the the questions that you ask will deliver the outcome of what you're trying to achieve, or you'll get to the root cause of what the problem is. So it's being able to sit down before you have your one-to-ones with your reps and understand what questions can I ask to derive the right output. And I think that's something that a lot of managers don't think of when they go into having those conversations. What five or six questions is going to get me to the answer that I need to? And that's something that Killian really sort of told me in terms of it's the power of the questions. That's what it's all about. Um, In terms of coaching, it was to realize in yourself that you don't have to do a hundred things. You only have to do one or two things right. And you need to build your relationship and network around you and to understand that when you're not in the room, that they're talking about you. Or that if your name pops up, that they're talking about you. Or if a role comes up, you're nominated. And that's the piece where I was trying to drive a lot of it myself, whereas I probably wasn't going around it and trying to influence maybe one or two key priorities and then driving them forward. I think that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned. within my career that's definitely stuck with me it's it's ingrained so if i've understood you correctly what you're saying is that it's it's really really important that you invest time in managing your own career uh in terms of getting that visibility so that again when you're not in the room it's your name that comes to people's minds and it's associated Mm -hmm. with the, the the projects that you want them to see more of and your role Mm -hmm. in those and that's what's going to drive impact for the business. It's aligned to their operating yeah, priorities. Yeah. So, so doing a good job as in delivering a number in itself is not enough, is, is, is the, my bottom line I'm taking from this. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you leveraging best practices across the company? How are you scaling projects across the company? You know, what, what's the overall impact to you as a, as a person within that company? Isn't the number, right? Mm. It's what else you can bring to the tick table. And for me, that's how I motivate people into the role is to really align projects that they're trying to like creativity or whatever they're trying to do. And is to give them projects on that kind of assignment and to keep them motivated within the role. I think that's something that uh, is is definitely a key attribute to the success of the teams that we manage. It it sounds to me like sales leadership was something that you had your eye on from very early. Talk to me about the process then going from rep to sales manager. How did you manage that? Apart, apart from the, the, what you learned through Killian and managing your own career, but just in terms of the hurdles you had to overcome as an individual, the new skills you had to develop as you transitioned from sales to yeah. sales leadership. Yeah, so I, I was lucky that I moved into business development leadership. And I think it's so uh, 
important for an IC to use that route and to go to a business development leadership role. And I, I was advised from, from, from Killian to do that, right? Because it's, it's where you can grow yourself and that new set of competencies in that role. Um, and you can also then get exposed to so many different parts of the business as well. And I think that's kind of the, the, the area that I started going in on. But I think the biggest transition for me was from an SDR to a sales leader. All right. And um, I'll, 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 I'll give you an example. When I first started my hardware, I went into the hardware business in Oracle as my first year as a sales leader. And it was one of the toughest environments You really like taking on tough challenges, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was a tougher but, thing but to do in Oracle. It was... <laughs> That's where you want to learn, right? That's where you learn. You learn quicker in those environments, mm, right? You yeah. evolve quicker and you and you really, you really, and I was encouraged to go for that role for those reasons. Yes. Um, and I got into that role and I was like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at this. And, and sitting down and really understanding the, the, the areas that I needed to just go from a biz dev leader to a sales leader and what was those three competencies I needed yeah. to focus on. Um, but yeah, it, it was difficult. Um, but we got through it and, and we and we got through that year and we, we learned from it and we had a really successful yeah. second year. You, you, you might share for listeners why the hardware was difficult. My recollection was, and but there may be lots of other reasons, was that after taking over the Sun business, Horacle basically jacked up the price for everybody and changed everybody's licensing terms and conditions. And now you as a sales team have to have those conversations with customers. Mm-hmm. Was it that? Was there something else that made hardware? Sp- and of course, there are smaller margins in hardware than there are in software. Was there something else? Yeah, you've you've hit it on the on the on the head there. So there's margins. There's also the partner community and making sure that the partners we had were credited for those specific areas. Plus, then obviously the acquisition itself, right? So making sure like contracts were aligned. That's that uh, delayed deals etc right so that piece was the a tough piece to get around but i think in terms of the hardware business it's very heavily um through the channel so it's really making sure that those relationships are built up and strong and that there's good trust within the channel community as well and mm. um, but it was daily daily forecasts and daily pacing it was high fast high paced it was um it was it was full on um, but probably one of the most exciting parts of my journey within Oracle because I learned so much mm. um, and I learned so much from Jimmy. Mm. Um, so it was really, uh, it was a highlight of my career, yeah. that piece. And I think I grew fast. Is that Jimmy Kyo, by period. the way? You, see, you say Jimmy. That's Jimmy Kyo, yeah. Another, yeah. A, a, yeah. another top performer. You know he won some award recently, uh, top 100 sales leaders worldwide. He was in the list, only one from Ireland on that list. I saw, yeah. yeah. I was talking to him last week, yeah. 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 It's uh, unreal, yeah. So you, it's, and well-deserved. And Sorry? And well-deserved as absolutely, well. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. actually, he's going to be uh, a guest on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. So, oh, great. Yeah, great. and uh, I, I, I think what I'm hearing as well, that it's part of your own career, that, yes, you, you went full in to not just take on responsibility, but also challenge yourselves in terms of, of, of stretching and growing your, your own skill sets with, with whether that's school, college at night, roles that would challenge you, but you also had great managers and, and mentors as part of the process, a, a great recipe for sales leadership. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And 
It's the same, right, like with my running. Um, I never ran up until nine years ago, and I, I started running, right? And I became the youngest man to run 100 marathons in Ireland. What, 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 let's just rewind on that one for a second. You did what? <laughs> I, I'm saying yeah, this, so, uh, Barry. I, 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 sometimes I say it, and it's kind of like... No, 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 we're going we're to we're just pause here for a second, because... Right. Before we started having a brief conversation, and I was saying to, with you, and I and I mentioned the fact that your 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 early life in terms of leaving school and going back paralleled my own, and and I was with you, and I, and I've done one marathon, so I can appreciate what goes into it, and so I was with you until that point. <laughs> you said I did a hundred. Okay, we need some context for this. Uh, okay, hundred. Why? That's that's the first one. How? Uh, where did you find the time? Was there a a purpose? What I've often seen is that when people do something extreme like that, and a hundred marathons is extreme, is usually there's something else that's inside them that they're trying to either wrestle with or acknowledge. There's something you just don't do it just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was yours? Yeah. Um... Mine was charity. So my mother passed away um, and I wanted to do it for charity. And my dad said, if you run a 3R59, 59 or anything less, you're a bad runner. Messing, like just having a bit of a joke. Um, so I finished the first Dublin in 3.59.59 wow. and I fell over the line. Yeah. And I just loved it. And it was around the focus, the dedication it was around the task management the time management and sitting down i loved the level of focus that it gave but the, the passion was the charity piece right i love raising money for charity um, and that's something that like i run 25 marathons for one charity 25 for temple street 25 for 65 roses or the homeless and that's what i love doing that's what i get a passion for out of it right that's why i do it um, but I'm up to 165 marathons now. Um, obviously, last year wasn't a, a time to run. But I think what it shows is that, that people can do unnatural things, right? I never thought I could run 165 marathons. And how it came out was Sean Weaver ran a course of how to be your best self, best version of yourself and how to challenge yourself. Um, and I reached out to him a couple of weeks ago and I just said it to him, um, do you remember that day I set that goal in that workshop and I said 25 marathons? And he said, yeah, I said, I'm at 165 now. And he was like, that's incredible because pe- people say if, you're, if your goals aren't big enough or if they're laughing at your goals, like they're not big enough, right? So um, I went back then and I redid my goals and then I found out that I could have been the youngest man to get to 100. But that took time, like ruthless planning to actually do it. And I got there within three, three week difference between me and the other person who was coming to court. And I had to do 10 marathons in 10 days to beat them. 10 marathons in 10 days. uh, Yeah, it was tough, but we got there. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm I'm not going to ask you what a marathon is like. I do want to know, though, what your favorite marathon was. And by the way, I should say, shout out to Sean Weaver, another top guy as well. Great, great, absolutely. Really, really good at getting people to tap into their inner drive and push themselves. Yeah. Um, So it was one of the best courses I've ever had in my life, that course. yeah, one of the best courses. Um, so tell tell me about which your favorite marathon and why. Oh, Wexford, 
first ever Wexford. American Wexford. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I was not expecting that. I was thinking of all places. Or all places. Berlin, London. <laughs> Wexford. <laughs> I, should... <laughs> I could have said Clontarf if you wanted me to, but I said Wexford. <laughs> okay. Please. Why, why Wexford? <laughs> so there's a couple Great of strawberries there, along the route, I'm sure. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. As you're going, a bit of that extra energy. No, why Wexford? Um, it was at a point in my time on the runner where I was starting to see improvements. Um, and like I wasn't a great runner. I'm not a great. I still say I wouldn't be a great runner. Mm. But I got to a level of two fifty three, which is within the top one percent. Oh, that, 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 that's right. Again, listen, for anybody who who doesn't get that, that's a phenomenal. For, for a lay person, it's, you know, if you're a, for, uh, for, yeah, absolutely. for a standard person. Yeah. I, anything under four hours, talent. by the way, is is is, yeah. is good. You're running the whole way. Yeah, yeah. And like, I've no natural talent. Like, oh, like that was hard mm. work, right? Like, I nearly, nearly got myself into uh, under 10 stone. I wasn't looking great or whatever, but I was at the peak of my career there. Like, I had to run. And I went in and I won it totally unexpected 253 and one of the toughest courses you could ever like i like look it's nearly worse than going up hot eight times right like yeah. it's, it's a tough course this course um but that just was one of the most ones i came out led from the start there's about 180 people in the race and i came over the finish line i was one of the most proudest achievements of my life and um, because i worked so hard for like you know um but it just goes to show, like, you know, you stretch yourself, mm. you go for it, you set your goal, and, and you go for it, and you get it. Um, and if you don't, you learn. Right? Yeah. That's the worst thing that can happen. What was your yeah. toughest one, and, and, and how did you dig deep to finish it? Connemara. Uh, Connemara was definitely one. Um, my IT band went at six miles, and I walked it. Um, and then I got to Man's Cross, I think it is, went in and got an old jacket because it was lashing rain and everything, and I walked it 13 miles back because I was halfway there. I couldn't get back, so I was like, right, what do I do? Um, and I loved the medal. I loved the Connemara medal, so I was like, I'm going to get this medal. <laughs> I don't care. I'm after driving three and a half hours down to Galway. I'm going to come back with the medal, like you know, so that would definitely be the, the toughest day I've had. What was your most, and the la last marathon question, your most, because you, you mentioned Connemara, what was your most visually inspiring marathon? It has to be Wexford. I didn't think I had that in me. Like, that was one of the, like, I don't know what was in me that day. Like, that was, like, if, if that was a normal course, I would have I would have broke 240 that day. And whatever I did that day or whatever, um, I need more of it, <laughs> 100%, like I need to, I think it was just everything aligned, right, like I think that's like a sales rep going through their month, you keep the plan right, mm. you keep on track, you understand where you are, you're working on your strengths and your weaknesses, and everything should go in the right direction towards the end of the month, right, if you get all your eyes and T's followed, you know. When you're hiring people, what do you look for, and Part B of that question, and what I'm also wondering is, how much of your own story do you look for in others? Very little. So I hire drive resilience and um, drive resilience. I, I don't. I look for, and this is something that I got from from Killian in his open days in Oracle, right? 
How are, why wouldn't you hire that person? What can you see within that person that's their, their unique selling point and to get to that within the interview process? But like, it's all around attitude, right? Like this is what this job is, right? It's, it's how you pick up and bounce back after it, how you get on and you can like leverage people around you, right? You're not on your own, right? So it's just really sitting down and making sure that that's, you're, you're never on your own in this environment. There's so many people to help you. Um, and I think that's kind of, piece that I would take from it yeah definitely tell me did you grow up in Dublin I did yeah born and bred what was that like growing up uh, in 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 Dublin what would have been during the 90s uh yeah yeah during the 90s um what was it like growing up uh, I'd go to upbringing um when my, my mom left when Left the family home when I was about 13, 14. Uh, so my dad reared me um, and very, very lucky to have such a strong character in my life. Um, and even more so now in the last year in terms of the impact that he's had on me, right? So it's been a tough year for everyone, right? Um, but it's just, it's, it's whole thought process of how he coaches me or how he sits down. It's, it's something that I really, uh, I really try and emulate when I'm dealing with my salespeople, right? And it's leading with compassion and it's leading with empathy, right? And I think that's something that my dad has really taught me. I think I had that from from my dad well before I even wanted to move into management. Do you know that type of way? Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a nice upbringing. Two lovely sisters. Um, so a lot of the yeah, so a lot of the greater determination, where I feel that it came from is leaving school and proving to my dad that I didn't make the wrong decision. And what I mean by that is like, he, he was against it, right? Like he was like, no, no, no. But when I came back and he saw, saw the passion I wanted to do. And then and when he laid it out, he believed in me. Um, and when he saw me executing against the plan, he was like, right. Okay. But I think like, that's where the grit and resilience is not to let him down um, and to, to not to, um, not to let myself down as well, right? Like I made that decision and I backed myself and like to, to follow through with it um, is something that uh, you need to, you need to really, really like make sure that it happens. So not failure of letting them down. Like I think that could be potentially a, a real driver for it, right? And you've probably only got that from me now. Um, so there you go. You've, you've coached that out of me today. Um, yeah. It's, that, that's very hard to train. Or teach people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm wondering how you can leverage that yourself in terms of inspiring others and I also wonder how much you realize you do inspire others uh, it's one of my it's something that I'm working on right it's definitely something that I'm working on in terms of over the next couple of months and um, how I potentially could motivate people in that right like it, it in a, in, in, a, in a team environment, in whatever, but the motivational speaker piece is another level up, right? Obviously, I'd need to get some support and et cetera and coaching and development. And, but it's it's not off the cards, right? There's just a lot of stuff on right now, right? Um, but I would love to give back. Um, like I, I, I did the Junior Achievement Program to give back to tell people not to leave school. And that was something that I went into schools as part of a six week program to encourage them not to leave school. And if you are going to leave school, that you have good backing and that you have a good plan in terms of why you would leave school. Yeah. So it was, it was a, an interesting program. I just wonder how you square that circle because leaving school made you who you are, or it was certainly part of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't everything, but it was certainly part of it. 
And then how do you go to people and say, even though this made me who I am, don't do what I did? Although, I, I, so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I have a 15-year-old son, who's doing your cert, okay? Had that discussion with him, bought him the less stress, more success books to get the, you know, the, the, the extra kind of exam stuff, etc. Um, and he knows exactly how hard it was. Right. So he knows what, what type this is. This wasn't the easy route, right? Like it wasn't the easy route for by no means. Mm. So he's very committed in terms of that. If he was to come and ask me, could he leave school? I'd say no. Right. And I know that's a bit weird. Right. But times have changed, etc. Times were even changed when I was at that stage. Right. It wasn't the, the done thing to do. Right. Like it's different. But my son is credit to him. Like he. He knows what he wants, right? He knows where what he needs to get there, and and he's putting the commitment in. So he's just he, he's got a different view and outlook. That's him. I'm not going to encourage him. I'm not going to like. That's him. I'm going to influence his decision, but um, I'm going to like be supportive of him, right? Like just because it was right for me, it doesn't mean it was right for him. It's right for him, um, and that's how I navigate it, right? Like this was my route. This was my choice, um. Everything's backwards as well because I had kids before marriage. I had everything before this. Yeah. Like you know, like everything that I kind of did was just yeah. the unconventional way. You, know? you said Barry, uh, that was your choice. What if it was mm-hmm. his choice? If it was his choice, absolutely, I challenge him of making sure that he was making the right decision, right? That he was making it, and I'd support him. I would support him. Yeah, but I'd certainly. I'd certainly um, ensure that he was accountable and I'd make sure that he was on track to what he was saying he was going to do. If I saw him fearing off, like my dad did uh, many a time, right? Get back on, you know, get back in, like focus back in on your study. If it needs taking a day or two off on annual leave, do it. You know, like he was very, very, uh, very much part of that process with me. Um, so, yeah, I would certainly support my son mm. in that area, but wouldn't encourage it. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're very close to your own father. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, um, very close to him. Yeah. Um, how how does he influence you now, as a as an adult with your own children? Um. He's changed, like, well, my, my father's changed over the years, right? Like, I, I think he's a hell of a lot more, well, he shows a lot more compassion now, right? Like, I, I can see he's changed definitely. I don't know whether it's an older age thing or what, what it is, right? But um, it's, a, it's a tough question, I suppose. Rephrase the question. Uh, I, I can repeat it. I don't know if I can rephrase it. Uh, I'm wondering yeah. how, because again, you're right. You, you said that people's relationship with their parents change over time as you grow into adulthood. Also, I think as you get older, you think you mellow a little yeah. bit more and you become a little bit more circumspect mm-hmm. and philosophical about life in itself. And you tend to worry about less, particularly when it comes to your children. So that's going to influence the yeah. dynamic of that relationship. So I can understand how um, when you were younger, how his influence on you was very different and was probably more authoritative and supportive. I'm wondering what mm-hmm. it's like now, because clearly he's still a, a strong influence on you. I'm just wondering what that feels like and what it looks like now. If anything, he's more of an influence now than he was when I was 15. 
you know, um, and that's that's something that I wouldn't say lightly, right? Like over the last, like especially over the last year, how you know how he kept it, the the whole family together, right? And how he kept like you know people's positivity up, right? Everyone has bad days, dead down days. He remained constant, right? And even though you know that he's probably struggling himself, like you know, he still had that outlook. And I think that's sort of the, the, the traits that I take from him is being calm, cool and collective in any situation and to be able to instill that within the team, right? Um, but if when I when I make mistakes or when I fall off track or when I do something, he doesn't sit there and judge. He sits there and says, okay, so what are we going to do? How can we make this better? What can we do to change things? And I think if you foster that within your team, you, you've got a winning team, right? Like there's, there's nothing... Nothing wrong with being wrong, right? Like I'm, I'm making a failure. Hold your hands up, say you do it, and learn, grow, and evolve from it. And that's all that I expect from my reps, right? That they're highly coachable, that uh, and they change and they adapt, right? Because everything's different, and it's 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 no no one day is the same in in in, in this company or in my company or any yeah. company. I know from everything you said, Barry, that you would subscribe to the view that you're always growing. You're never done growing as an individual. Uh, what are you working on right now on yourself? So I'm looking at radical candor at the moment. That's something that I'm working on. Um, and to try and be kind of more, well, not more humble, but really putting focus around radical candor. Okay? So did you say radical um, candor? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Now, explain so, that to me because I, I may misinterpret it. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a different way of approaching conversations, okay? And it's kind of a different tactic, or not, not tactic, but it's a different way of getting to a derived outcome, okay? And it's been, it's been quite constructive in your feedback, but it's also been quite humble, right? And really trying to be helpful, but be really, really immediate, right? So if something went wrong in a team, to address it straight on and to let them know what the impact of that is, right? Um, and it, it's something that like I'm, I'm working on quite quite well at the moment on myself right and testing that the next piece is is trying to trying to empathetic listening right and i think it's the biggest key driver of 2021 for sales leaders and i think it's something that we can all step up on, a gear on okay um, and it's definitely something that i'm working on right now empathetic listening in this environment is a hell of a lot different than what it is when you're working in an office environment, right? And you need to spend a lot more time at it and you need to spend a lot more um, focus around it as well. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to trying to look at. Um, but what I'm looking at now is really leveraging the Miro tool to show the collaboration and engagement within the team. And that's something that's been a game changer for me. Okay, I'd like to, uh, to explore, this explore this with you a little bit more because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot in this. Um, and so I, I, here's what's on my mind and you'll have to forgive me. It's just how I process things is honesty is when somebody says, does my ass look big in this? You say, yes, uh, that's all. Well, candor is, Hey, your ass looks big in that mm -hmm. radical candor uh, takes that one step further. It, it, yeah. So uh, that's, that's a huge oversimplification, maybe a misinterpretation. The candor is just as I understand, is speaking your mind freely, or as the, is it the same thing as what people nowadays term as speaking your truth, or is it just being honest with people without filters? 
Help me with the candor a bit, first of all, as part of radical candor, and then what makes yeah. it radical? It's open, it's open enough that dialogue for both you and the rep to have constructive conversations, okay? And to really have drive, drive impactful conversations, right? And not to beat around the bush, essentially, right? Like, if you're just to, to scale it in that way. But it, it's, it's something that gives you a framework for them conversations, not just for me, but for the, for the rep as well. But it helps us to get to a derived outcome. And I think that's the beauty of it is it's a two a two way thing, right? And I encourage my reps to challenge me in areas as well. And if they don't understand it, seek the context to understand, right? Instead of challenging everything, seek to understand, right? And I think that's something that my dad instilled. I don't know why I'm talking about my dad so much here, but you know, it, always find out why you're doing something. And I I notice it from my kids and everything. I always ask why straight away, like. Uh, can I do this? Why? Everything's why, 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 why? It's ingrained in me. Like, do you know, like, that's the first point. Like, once I understand the why, then everything else falls in. And I think some people don't start with the why, and then they, they're doing their project, and they don't, they're halfway through, and they're going, why are we doing this? You know, what, what impact is it to the overall business, yeah. you know? When you ask why, is that so you can get context so you can understand it better? Or are you asking why as a pushback? So why, so I can understand it. So seek to understand um, would be the why I'd be asking the question more so to challenge. So we were talking about radical candor and from what you're telling me, uh, my sense of it is it's just, it's really taking time to understand a little bit more about context. Uh, it's, it's the Stephen Covey, seek first to understand, but also not being afraid to confront difficult issues and have those conversations in a calm, rational, exploratory mode, if you like. Would, would that exactly. be fair? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And encourage that environment, right, on both sides, right? Like, so it's not just one way. Mm. It's from from you and the rep, right? And that's what I encourage within the team an awful lot of the time. Yeah, is confrontation something that you've ever struggled with? No, no. Um, it's certainly something that I try and reduce very quickly, right? Like, so in terms of that, but in terms of confrontation, I always try and understand why, right? Like, so I understand it, but um, if it's a genuine reason, like, we should be listening, right? Like, so it, like it, it's not confrontation, it's somebody voicing their frustrations or potential ideas of what we could be doing differently. I think what happens, the confrontation piece comes when people don't feel listened to. Mm. That's when the confrontation how do you, starts. How do you set the scene with somebody you're about to have a difficult conversation with them? How do you set the scene with somebody who you feel might be quite defensive? And because maybe in, in, in their own life they're not listened to enough and now this is a trigger for them and they straight away start making excuses or start pushing back, how do you... How do you take the sting out of that so that you can have those, those that candor? Yeah, like I suppose getting to understand what the actual problem is, right? And to understand what the impact it is having. Is it actually something that's gonna move the needle or is it not? Is it something we need to prioritize on or is it not? And to test why they're asking it. What impact is it having to them? It could be having a bigger impact to them that we don't even know. Right, like we don't know that, so we have to understand why they feel that way about a current situation. 
And then as we go through that, through a coaching model, through a growth model, we start coming up with ways of potentially how we can actually get to a desired resolution. So in terms of like sitting down and listening to them, I think it starts with listening. It's not me going in with a specific agenda or outcome. It's let them be heard first and let the team be heard. And sometimes I might go off for a couple of hours or an hour or two and digest that and to understand it and to sit down and to maybe test their objective kind of stuff they said within that meeting. But I think it's going back to them then with accountability and kind of, of what we're going to do together to, to, to help that individual. If we were having this conversation 10 years from now, Barry, and you were looking back to 2021, um, what would that look like for you? What would be some of the major highlights of the past decade for you, looking back from 10 years from now? So from now to 10 years, what would I like in 10 years or looking back from the last Looking back years? from uh, 2031. That's a tough question. Um, right, now, right now, I want to, well, it's a simple question. I want to get P&L experience. I want to understand it from a general manager point of view. I want to get that exposure. And I want to really like flex that type of muscle. Um, I would love to set up my own business in potentially five to 10 years time. And that's something that I actually really have a passion for. I went in and presented to Bill Cullen when I was 18 for, for uh, uh, in uh, the Europa Hotel yeah. <laughs> to try and pitch. Yeah. I, I used maybe, to, for people who didn't know who Bill Cullen was, I used to say he's the Irish Donald Trump. Um, sometimes the <laughs> Irish Alan Sugar. I don't know if that could, that that's fair on, on Bill Cullen at all. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I'd like to set up my own company. If I was to look back in ten years, is to have five years in a company that's hyper growth, right? And that's 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 where I am now. But to really create a company which is gonna, I'd love to create a coaching platform. That's that's exactly what my goal is, right? So to give a coaching platform to other um, institutions, but also to get. Uh, coaches that I can provide a platform that we can give people the opportunity to grow and evolve outside of their current organization. And that's something that I'm working on, kind of like ideating right now for some. Mm. And I think in this current environment, it's needed, really, really needed. I think the, the growth potential is huge. I am sad to say, Barry, we are up on time. Uh, I could talk to you all day. Oh. You're, you're a fascinating character and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, one last question. And yes, if there was a book written about your life, and, and I suspect there may be, <laughs> and what would the title of that book be? What Limiting Beliefs? What Question Limiting mark. Beliefs? Barry Castle, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. If you have enjoyed the podcast as much as I have enjoyed today's podcast with Barry, please consider giving this podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening to it on today. Thanks again, Barry. Thanks so much for your time, Paul. Have a great day.